Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? The Source Material Comics Podcast has returned, and we are synergizing with the latest DC comic book movie release of Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So what could I possibly be bringing to the table this go-round. Well, it's going to be a solo cast, ladies and gentlemen. Just be ready. You're going to be listening to me for a few minutes, and only me. But that's all right. I uh, did a little digging just to try and find a book that might kind of fall in with something Captain Marvel-related. And recently, my son and I watched Black Adam. After the movie, we had a discussion about who would win, Superman or Black Adam. That got me to thinking, well, maybe we'll do a comic. Superman and Captain Marvel slash Shazam have locked horns before in the past. So I found a book. It was a trade paperback, uh, Superman versus Shazam. And it contained quite a few stories. The earliest one that was listed in that trade was a story called When Earths Collide. And this came out in 1978. It was from the all-new Collector's Edition, written by Jerry Conway and Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano as artists, and lettered by Gaspar Saladino, colored by Adrian Roy. For this intro, before we get into what happened in the book, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork. Anybody who's kind of unfamiliar with DC at this time, you got to remember this is pre-crisis. This book came out in 78. Crisis doesn't happen until 85, uh, which changed the landscape of the DC universe, basically. So what you're getting in this movie is not going to correlate with what's happening in this book. Uh, Late 70s Superman and Captain Marvel were two different things compared to 2020s Superman and Captain Marvel slash Shazam. First, let's do a little background on our creative team. Jerry Conway. I hop onto the wiki and find out that this man published his first professional comic book work at the age of 16. This is straight from the wiki. It's a small story in the pages of House of Secrets number 81 from September of 1969. Story was titled Aaron Phillips's Photo Finish. Now he continues to sell these stories 
into Marvel's Chamber of Darkness and Tower of Shadows through the end of 1970. He publishes his first continuing character story in DC's semi-anthological occult comic, The Phantom Stranger, number 10, that happened in December of 1970. Now here's where things pick up. In 1972, at the age of 19, Jerry Conway takes over Amazing Spider-Man from Stan the Man Lee. Imagine that, 19 years old. What an honor. During Amazing Spider-Man, he's writing and creating some of the most iconic stuff that is associated with that title. The Death of Gwen Stacy, Jerry Conway's involved. The Punisher, the first appearance of The Punisher, the creation of The Punisher, Jerry Conway's involved. I finishes up a bit of a Marvel run with Iron Man number 97 in a story called Showdown with the Guardsmen. And for nine years between 1977 and 1986, he's primarily a writer at DC, working on Challengers of the Unknown, World's Finest, Superman Family, and others. Now in 86, he comes back. This is clearly after the comic we're going to be talking about tonight. But he comes back to Marvel, and I thought this was interesting. He comes back to Marvel for a title called Spitfire and the Troubleshooters in Marvel's New Universe. Uh, so this book that we're getting ready to talk about right now comes out in the early primary years that Jerry Conway has at DC. Now let's talk about the art. Rich Buckler, the artist on this book, in 1970, doing some stuff for Warren Comics with Eerie and Creepy, and doing some random work at DC. One of the highlights coming out of 1971 is where he starts a small five-issue run on Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. And this is all according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. In 72, he does his first Marvel work in that year with Where Monsters Dwell, number 15. And he also starts a five-issue run on The Avengers. In 73, he divides most of his time up between Marvel and Warren with Jungle Action with his first work on Fantastic Four, number 142. In 1974... Rich is primarily at Marvel with Fantastic Four, Thor, and Astonishing Tales. And then in 75, he's got a few DC issues in there, but mostly he's still at Marvel with Fantastic Four and Astonishing Tales for that year. Now in 76, about mid-76, you're going to see a fair amount of Rich's work on the shelves in DC Comics in The Secret Society of Supervillains. So that brings us to early 78, where Rich is on our all-new collector's edition here. Dick Giordano. What a storied history here. Looking at Mike's Amazing World of Comics just by itself, he has a career that starts in the 50s with Charlton Comics, mainly credited for pencils and art. He looks to become an inker in the late 60s, and he's mainly DC exclusive, inking Detective Comics, Wonder Woman, Batman, Flash for over a decade. He starts getting more Marvel works around 1973. Probably not hard to find a Conan book from that time that has his inks on it. In 76, he's working on Warren's Creepy and Eerie, while dabbling in the big two as well for a couple of years. So yeah, this, this book itself is actually larger than your normal comic. 10 inches by 14 inches, tabloid size, what they call treasury format. So you may have seen a few of these out in the wild, but they're definitely not in your long boxes because they're larger than average size. This gets on the shelves February 28th of 1978. And the issue that dropped before this in January of 78 is Superman versus Muhammad Ali. So it seemed like these larger size comics were kind of a big deal sometimes. But when you go and look at some of the things that were published in this title, I mean, the very first one in 1972 was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And then the very next one next year, 
in the summer of 73 was Shazam. It was a weird eclectic mix of some of the stuff that would pop up in there. Now, after this, if you couldn't get your hands on Superman versus Muhammad Ali, the issue that drops after this, and actually I think it's at the same time, and it may even be on the shelves at the same time that this is out there, is the 72-page spectacular of Welcome Back Cotter. Get in on it, folks. Like I said, a weird kind of a varied mix of what you're going to get with the all-new limited collector's edition. All right, let's talk a little bit about our characters and our setting. You have to remember something here in the late 70s. Well, I should say pre-crisis. There are a multitude of Earths in the DC universe. Some Earths don't have the same characters that other Earths have. There's two Earths that we're going to be talking about here in this book. One is Earth One, which is home to all of our pre-crisis DC superheroes and villains. Crisis, go back in the archives, folks. We talked about it a little bit. Brought all of these Earths in under one reality. Um, that event happened in 85. Go check it out. We talked about it. But you have to remember that this is 78, so this is pre-crisis. And there is an Earth-1, and there is an Earth-S. Earth-S is home to Captain Marvel and the Marvel family and their villains. So these two Earths rarely do the characters from either Earth interact with the others. So are you seeing why this is titled When Earths Collide? Yeah, we're going to get there. All right, groundwork. So Superman, created for DC Comics by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster, first appearing in Action Comics number one from 1938. Superman's alter ego, Clark Kent, originally known as a mild-mannered reporter. Now, currently in late 70s DC, Clark works for a television station called WGBS, and he's a news reporter. So the Daily Planet appears to at least not show up in this comic very much at all. It's him and Lois working for a television station. <clears throat> now, he still has the same power set, X-ray vision, heat vision, flight, superpowered strength, weakness to kryptonite. All the Superman staples are there. We also got to talk about Supergirl. Kara Zor-El, also known as Supergirl and Linda Danvers, created by Otto Binder and Al Plastino, first appeared in Action Comics 252 from May of 1959. Orphan Kryptonian cousin with a similar power set to Superman. So Superman's cousin, Supergirl. Now, Earth S's Captain Marvel, created by Bill Parker and C.C. Beck, first appeared in Wiz Comics number two from February of 1940. 13-year-old Billy Batson has been chosen to wield the powers of Shazam, and when he yells that very word, he transforms into the world's mightiest mortal, Captain Marvel. Now, he has a strength level that's comparative to Superman. Billy has the powers of flight, speed, and invulnerability. No weakness to kryptonite. Remember, this is a kid. This is a 13-year-old boy who transforms into a man when he gets struck by lightning after he yells the word Shazam. Now, Mary Marvel, same situation. Twin sister to Billy Batson, created by Otto Binder and Mark Swayze, first appeared in Captain Marvel Adventures number 18 from December of 1942. Mary Batson is Billy's twin sister, who also has the powers of Shazam, drawn from a female set of gods. Very similar power set. Now, the villain of this piece, Carmang the Evil. That's right. What a name. Carmang the Evil. He's a white Martian whose race was killed off, but he has remained. They talk a little bit about this in the story. But yeah, he's been around for a very long time and his race has been gone for a very long time. Carmang has quite a look to him. So let me do my best to describe how this evil character looks 
in an audio format. Green bodysuit, all right? Darker green gloves and darker green boots. A chalk white head with a red cape and eyeballs for earrings. Now, as to whether they're actual eyeballs, I doubt it. But they're creepy looking, like where his cape attaches to his suit as well are eyeballs. <laughs> uh, very crazy looking villain here. And this book is his first appearance and his final appearance. And we'll have more on Carmang the Evil as we talk about what happens here. Black Adam. So Black Adam, created by Otto Binder and C.C. Beck, first appeared in Marvel Family Volume 1, number 1, November of 1945. Teth Adam was given the power of Shazam 5,000 years before Billy Batson. Because of his evil evil ways, he was banished to a far star. Adam has since returned, traveling all that way, and has been a thorn in Batson's side since. Then we have Quarmer. Now, folks, if you know a little bit about comics, a lot of what I just gave you here, these characters, you're going to recognize quite a few names. Carmine the Evil, I'm going to go ahead and let you slide on that because brand new character solely for this book. But here's one that I didn't know about that I didn't know existed. Quarmer, created by Denny O'Neill and Kurt Swan, first appeared in Superman 233 in January of 1971. His last appearance is in this book. So Quarmer, I took some of this from DC fandom, so get ready. Created from a temporary portal between Earth and the Quarm dimension during an explosion. The Sand Superman is initially mainly interested in draining power and knowledge from Superman for its own sake. However, as it gains and loses energy during its existence, it comes to more and more take on a desire to act as Superman does, as a being that serves unselfishly as a superhero. So that's Quarmer here. This being that was created, and somehow, because of some type of explosion, and then somehow gets attached, or at least gets some type of power from Superman... And so when you see this, it looks like a super, it looks like Superman, except he's just completely made of sand. So that's Quarmer. All right. There's your characters. There's your creative team. A bit of history for you in regards to the book. Let's talk about what happens in When Earths Collide. We open our story on Mars as Carmang the Evil, once known as Carmang the Good, uses his power to summon Black Adam from Earth-S and Quarmer from Earth-1. Carmang exclaims he wants them to assist in destroying both Earth-S and Earth-1. After a bit of resistance, both Black Adam and Quarmer feel there is no choice but to claim allegiance to Carmang and do his bidding. Chapter 1 It is a beautiful day in Metropolis except sports fans at a local baseball game are in fear for their lives as a giant robot begins attacking the stadium. Luckily, Superman appears, stopping the massive mechanical beast and capturing its operator. Heading back to the WGBS newsroom, Clark gets ready to go live with the 6 o'clock news when the building shakes with a resounding thud. Captain Marvel is attacking the side of the building with a large girder. Clark quickly changes to Superman and asks Captain Marvel why he's attacking the building, to which Supes gets punched in the face for his efforts. Knowing that calming Captain Marvel down could be a handful, Superman calls out to Linda Danvers, Supergirl, for some help. Before she gets there, Captain Marvel blasts Superman with a device called the Judgment Ray, bathing Superman in the radiation of a red sun. This results in quite a change in Superman, causing him to act irrationally in anger. Captain Marvel flees the scene, and the reader soon sees that this was actually Black Adam in disguise. 
When Supergirl finally arrives, Superman is inconsolable and filled with rage, flying off to find Captain Marvel. Interlude. In our first interlude here, we learn that Karmang has had Black Adam and Quarmer place specific devices on each world which will result in the Earth's colliding. Why would he do this? Karmang is attempting to revive his alien race as they have been dead for eons. The energies from this explosion will give Karmang the ability to resurrect his dead kin. We also see that the ghosts of his dead race haunt him. It turns out Karmang conducted an experiment for immortalization, which worked. However, it also inadvertently killed everyone on his planet except for him. Chapter 2. Switching to Earth-S, we see Captain Marvel in New York City attempting to stop the Brooklyn Bridge from collapsing. In need of some help, his sister Mary Marvel swoops in to give Captain Marvel some time to seal a gap in the bridge with some junk cars. Later that night, Captain Marvel thinks he sees Superman, and wondering why he would be on Earth-S, he goes out looking for him. However, we soon learn that this is Quarma, who has been busy placing the collision beacon to bring Earth-S into a devastating impact with Earth-1. As Captain Marvel shows up, Quarmer immediately engages him in battle. Confused as to why Superman is attacking him, Captain Marvel tries to fight back but is soon hit with the Judgment Ray as well. Quarmer escapes, challenging Captain Marvel to find him on Earth-1. Enraged, Captain Marvel flies off to cross dimensional barriers to Earth-1 while Mary Marvel follows, trying to talk some sense into him. Let's talk about our introduction our first two chapters and an interlude here. So we definitely get a good introduction to our major players, Captain Marvel and Superman. We also get an introduction to our villain, Karmang, and his plan to take out both Earths, which is interesting. I mean, it's a it's definitely not a, a run-of-the-mill supervillain plan here. This is something where Karmang is so wrapped up in the fact that he killed his own race that he will destroy others in order to try to bring them back. It's not your typical supervillain plot. Oh, I want to take over the world. No, I want to destroy both of these worlds so I can bring back the race that I killed. Fairly interesting. The Judgment Ray. <laughs> so the Judgment Ray is an interesting device that is used by both of the servants of the villain. You know, Black Adam uses it against Superman and Quarmer uses it against Captain Marvel. I, I think the Judgment Ray had something to do with Red Kryptonite. Correction, that is radiation from a red sun, not red kryptonite, from what I was reading there. So I understand that effect that it has on Superman, but I didn't really understand why it affected Captain Marvel the way it did. I mean, in the book, I'll read it here, as Quarmer, who is, appears as Superman, so here's what it says, okay. So Captain Marvel hits Superman, and there's a large resounding socko. Uh, and then Quarmer is on the ground and he says, ah, he strikes hard and well, though I do not have Superman's full strength. I do have the weapon given me by Karmang to distort Captain Marvel's reason, the judgment ray. So he hits him with it and Captain Marvel yells, my eyes, you've blinded me. So the only thing it really says that it did to Captain Marvel is like just temporarily blinded him. But he's definitely angry somewhat irrational just like Superman was because Mary Marvel shows up and he is yelling at her telling her to shut up so clearly it has a similar effect on Captain Marvel as it does Superman as to why I don't know I no idea can I pick on shoving cars into the cracks 
of a collapsing Brooklyn Bridge to keep it from falling into the river? I mean, it kind of sounded like it was explained like, okay, the stresses of this massive structure pretty much weld the cars to the pieces in the cracks of the bridge so it doesn't collapse. I guess I can kind of see it. Like, let's say there's a crack underneath it, which it does show that he's shoving these things into the crack underneath it. But he's like shoving them up there so that the bridge will not fully come down. I was like, yeah, that's a weird way of making sure that this bridge doesn't collapse. But I guess it's temporary until somebody can get out there. Could you imagine? That's not going to pass too many inspections. Just saying. It's just me poking some fun at a 78 comic book. Ah, the old case of the mistaken identity. Yes, you know, I talked about the Judgment Ray, and there's the mistaken identity part of this where our two heroes end up in conflict with each other. You know, I'm giving that a pass. I have no problem with it, especially for a comic that showed up in early 78. You've got to get your two heroes to come to blows. So, you know, if this was the old days of source material... (laughs) As a matter of fact, you can go back into the archive and probably find an episode where I use this. But I used to open up these shows with songs. Normally, I would open it up with some type of a metal song or something like that. Those days have come and gone. I do that every once in a great while. This title is called When Earths Collide. And trust me, if this was three or four years ago, you would have heard some Power Man 5000 at the beginning of this episode. But a perfect song to bring us into this. Just real quick, our our man in the robot. So, you know, at the beginning of this, there's this large robot that's attacking the Metros. I think the Metropolis Metros baseball stadium. Superman pulls this guy out. And I'm sitting there looking him over like I'm waiting for a name to be dropped. No name ever gets dropped. And sure enough, the DC fandom wiki has it listed as an unnamed supervillain. So this villain, after he tries to escape and he's like on some type of a rocket or something to get away from this robot, I never should have come to this crummy Berg, but the Batman protects Gotham City. The Flash speeds around Central City. Hawkman wings it in Midway City. It's getting so crooks are running out of cities to rob. I thought Superman at least would be too busy with guys like Luther and Terra Man. Now, look, if you're going to do crime anywhere... (laughs) Which, by the way, I have no idea what he planned to do. I mean, he's just essentially in this large robot taking out part of this stadium for some reason. No clue. I don't think he's trying to rob anything. He's like this common criminal. So he picks the one place that has the most powerful superhero. The whole point of him coming to Metropolis was so that he could try to get away with his crime because he thought Superman would be too busy. Like, it was too risky with the other superheroes. Like, I would not pick Metropolis to do any crime whatsoever. If I was a criminal, I certainly would not go to Metropolis to try and pull off some kind of a heist that involves a giant robot destroying a stadium. Uh, anyway, I did not mention it in the synopsis, but Carmang's Mars headquarters is called Castle Carmang. Rolls right off the tongue. All right, I think that's it for right now. Let's get back to the story. In our second interlude, we are back on Mars. Carmang watches on monitors from Mars as events unfold between Captain Marvel and Superman. As the two heroes find each other, a battle for the ages is about to begin, and Carmang could not be more entertained. Chapter 3. Superman and Captain Marvel square off with an irate Superman throwing the first punch. Watching the confrontation from the ground, Lois decides to hop in a helicopter and snag a shot of the battle from the sky. As the two men fight, Mary is still trying to talk Captain Marvel down, but soon she is confronted by Supergirl. The two have a reasonable conversation and try to figure out a way to stop this fight 
and they determined it had to be some imposters that have somehow set Superman and Captain Marvel against each other. Going through a few of the rogues for each hero, the ladies correctly deduce it was Karmer and Black Adam behind it all. They decide to head out and find the evildoers to discover what their endgame is. Meanwhile, an hour has passed as Superman and Captain Marvel have started fighting and are now over Niagara Falls. With Lois Lane reporting from her helicopter, she is horrified to see the pair fall into and demolish a power plant. In our third interlude, we are back on Mars and Carman cannot get enough of watching Superman and Captain Marvel duke it out. Supergirl is looking for Black Adam who has taken shelter in Egypt on Earth-1. Confronting him, Black Adam grabs an ancient weapon of power called the Ibis Stick, but Supergirl is able to wrest it from his hands, striking Black Adam with lightning and turning him back into Teth Adam. Mary Marvel is able to find Quarmer on Earth-S, and he reveals he does not wish to fight her and instead tells her of Karmang's plan to destroy both worlds. All right, some talking points for Interlude 2, Chapter 3, and Interlude 3. I do like the fact that Carmang is just so excited to watch these things that have been put in motion. <laughs> he just is so thrilled to watch on TV Superman and Captain Marvel just in this knockdown, drag-out fight. And I like that it's kind of built in that Lois is the one reporting all of this in her helicopter. Carmang is kind of watching her reports from the news station as he sits there on Mars, which he's got to have some kind of other device going on there that gives him, oh boy. See, this is where in 1978, you're not thinking about how long it takes for a radio signal to get to Mars. Let's just not do that. Carmang's a pretty tech savvy considering he figured out a way to do an experiment to make himself immortal. <laughs> I'll give, I'll give that a pass. Chapter three's two-page splash to bring us in is just fantastic. Superman and Captain Marvel, each on opposite sides of the page, looking at each other. This battle is about to go down. Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano are not missing a beat here. They are not doing any wrong whatsoever. It's pretty compelling. It's pretty good. There's a reference in here to the July 77 blackout. So when they destroy this power plant, like most of New York or wherever goes dark and there's this family, it's, they cut quickly to this family who is in the dark in their apartment. And there's this young kid that says, mommy, I'm frightened. It's just like the blackout last July. So there was a blackout and that actually occurred in New York in 1977. So go find the wiki on this, but I'll read you the first sentence. As you scroll down, there's a section just titled crime and really that's kind of what the 77 blackout is known for the blackout occurred this is straight from the wiki the blackout occurred when the city was facing a severe financial crisis and its residents were terrified by the son of sam murders yeah a lot of people were affected and frightened because of the 77 blackout and if i remember correctly like there was it was really hot too oh wow i mean i'm just looking here 35 blocks of Broadway were destroyed, 134 stores looted, 45 of them set ablaze. Crazy. Supergirl and Mary Marvel rationally talking this out to be, they end up being sort of the true heroes of this story. That's that's pretty neat. I like, I like to see that. Uh, I will say that Captain Marvel hardly gets any shots in, <laughs> in on Superman. He's getting it beat up pretty good 
throughout these issues. It's not bloody or anything like that, but most panels are of Captain Marvel getting punched by Superman or him looking scared that he's getting ready to get punched by Superman. <laughs> you know, so the Ibis stick. So in this book, you know, there, there's a point where Supergirl finds Black Adam in Egypt and he has found this weapon of power called the Ibis stick. Apparently, this is something that showed up in Wiz Comics number two from 1940. So it also has a counterpart apparently on Earth One because Black Adam has found it. And there's not much mention in the DC fandom wiki of Black Adam apparently wielding this at some point. But clearly its power is pretty well known because Black Adam seeks it out on Earth One. Now, in the, in the synopsis, I say that Supergirl wrested it from Black Adam's hands, which makes you think that the two are fighting uh, and she is able to get a hold of it somehow. Well, yeah, they're fighting, but they're not in close contact with each other. As he's running away, she uses her powers of super inhalation to suck it back into her possession. So uh, that's how she gets it. And she uses it to call down the lightning and change Black Adam into Teth Adam clearly getting the upper hand so all right there you go we're going to head into the conclusion of when earths collide chapter four captain marvel is reeling from this extended fight with superman as their battle now takes them over the grand canyon trying to come up with a way to gain an advantage captain marvel remembers that magic might be the key to beating superman he looks to end the battle by hitting superman with a lightning bolt however the great wizard appears telling him to prolong the fight all in an effort to keep Carman glued to his television screen as Supergirl and Mary Marvel execute a surprise attack on him. This momentarily distracts Captain Marvel and he takes a couple of big hits from Superman, the final one leveling him, sending him careening to the ground where he lies unconscious. Shocked, Superman immediately regrets what he has done but is reassured by the Great Wizard that Captain Marvel will heal quickly. He also lets Superman know about the devices placed on the planets to collide the two Earths, both of which are currently wreaking havoc with the Earth's electromagnetic field. Captain Marvel awakens and Superman comes up with a plan to fly around the world at super speed to reverse the effects of the device while Captain Marvel goes to destroy them. On Mars, Carmang is trying to deal with Supergirl and Mary Marvel. Scrambling during the fight, Supergirl finds and presses a large black button that opens a portal to a limbo dimension that sucks Carmang into it, damning him to his own personal hell, forever haunted by the ghosts of his own murder race. In an epilogue, we're on Earth-S. The two pairs of heroes revel in their victory on a rooftop. Mary Marvel shoots her shot and tells Superman that he's handsome. As Mary fawns over Superman, Supergirl decides to turn on the charm on Captain Marvel which really upsets Mary, and she reminds her quickly that this is her twin 13-year-old brother. But Mary soon sees that Supergirl only did that to remind her that Mary is 13 years old as well, and happens to be confessing her affection to a much older man. The end. Okay, let's talk about our final thoughts here on chapters 4 and the epilogue of When Earths Collide. So at one point... The U.S. military decides they need to get involved, <laughs> which, trust me, it doesn't work out. Both Superman and Captain Marvel destroy some of the planes that are coming after them. Everybody makes it out safely, but it's funny because the pilot, as he's floating down to Earth in his parachute, is like, I knew this would happen, but orders are orders. Uh, the resolution of this problem 
Okay, so you got these two devices on both these Earths. Uh, there, there's a failsafe that's involved. Carmang built this failsafe in there that if somebody touches them or does something to them in order to stop them. So, I mean, obviously, if you can stop the devices from getting both Earths to collide, which you got to remember, there's definitely some serious science fiction that's happening here because both these Earths don't exist in the same plane of existence. There's two different dimensions. There's two different Earths. These devices are going to make them both appear and collide into each other in the same plane of existence. But regardless, Carmang makes a failsafe. If anybody touches these devices, it's just going to rip apart. This is what it says in the comic. It's going to rip apart the Earth's magnetic field, which is going to cause all sorts of problems. And it starts to cause these problems. Horrible weather that's happening, natural disasters. So Captain Marvel and Superman have to come up with something really quick to try and figure out how to fix this problem. And Superman is the one that pretty much comes up with, okay, I'm going to fly around the world to try and curb these problems with the electromagnetic field while you go and destroy these devices. Does that work? So I'm going to read to you here how they come up with this. Captain Marvel says, if we remove the engine or disarm it, the device will automatically rip apart Earth's magnetic field. And you told me that yourself because the old wizard told you, touch the engine and you'll sentence this Earth to death. Superman says, maybe and maybe not. It's possible, just possible, that I can temporarily shore up Earth's magnetic pattern by speeding around the world at super speed. It's a chance, Cap. Will you help me take it? So he does this. Now, I ask you, does that sound familiar? <laughs> this is early 1978 that this is on the shelves. Superman is currently flying around the Earth in order to stop a calamity. <laughs> Yes, I am definitely referencing Superman the movie here. December of 1978 is when Superman the movie drops. I find it very interesting that this is happening in a very big book. So I wonder if somebody got a hold of the script of what was going to be dropping in movie theaters. Now, how his going around the world fixes the magnetic field temporarily while Captain Marvel is able to destroy these devices, no clue. Definitely some comic book physics that are happening here. Maybe there's some science behind it. I have no idea. I just find it interesting that he's flying around the Earth and this is going to fix things. The black button. So Mary Marvel, Supergirl, facing off with Carmang and coming from, you know, Supergirl's inner monologue. Mary's taking quite a beating, seems to be weakening, and it'll be all in vain unless I figure out these controls, but it's hopeless. I don't even understand the principles involved. Still, these two buttons are the largest and most centrally located, maybe some psychology will tell me which to choose. And she looks at Carmang and she says, Okay, Carmang, I found the button to shut off your space-time engine and it's over, friend, you've lost. And he looks at her and says, Not the black button! That one will send us all into limbo! Maybe you, Carmang, but this woman can move at the speed of light. And she hits the button and it sends him into a limbo dimension. I think it's hilarious that he has this big black button that just opens up a dimension into limbo anytime he wants to go there. I don't think he's in there or he's using that at any point throughout the story. He just has a big black button that takes him, uh, you know, opens up a limbo dimension that he goes into uh, because he goes into this thing and he cannot escape. The look on Superman's face when he knocks Captain Marvel out thinking that he killed him. Good job, Rich Buckler. Fantastic work. So the conclusion of this story is pretty funny. You know, where we got the four heroes sitting on top of a, a rooftop, just kind of talking about, you know, what happened. And But Mary Marvel 
just looking at Superman and just all doughy-eyed and everything. Holy moly, you were marvelous, Superman. Say, Superman, did anyone ever tell you were awfully good-looking? <laughs> Superman is just like, uh. And then... It's not just words. I mean, she like wraps her arms around his neck and is just staring into his eyes. So she's looking to make a move. And then Supergirl's like, oh, no, wait a second. Does she forget what is going on here? And so she's like puts the moves on Captain Marvel and Mary's like immediately between them both. Like, how dare you? What are you doing? That is a 13 year old boy. And then Supergirl's ha. Huh? Yeah, and you're a 13-year-old girl. Funny, funny stuff, funny ending. Our last panel, though, is poor. I say poor. I mean, this guy was trying to destroy two worlds. I shouldn't really be saying that. But I, I kind of feel for the guy. I, I feel for Carmang. I feel for the fact that he, he just, all he wanted to do was bring back the people that he killed. He felt so guilty. But now he's in limbo, and he's stuck. I, I don't know if this is kind of like the Phantom Zone or whatever, but he is stuck in there and just screaming bloody murder because... He can't escape, and all those people that he killed are in there with him, haunting him. Overall thoughts. I like the story. Uh, you know, for it's very rare that I'm jumping back into the 70s on this show. You all know that I'm a 90s guy, but I, I, I have the utmost respect for what's come before. So jumping into the Bronze Age or, you know, the late 70s and reading comics, sometimes I feel it's, it can be more of a chore than what it's worth. I wasn't let down by this issue. Rich Buckler, Dick Giordano just knocked it out of the park. Both of those names are pretty iconic when it comes to the comic book industry. They did a great job on a on a book that was oversized. I imagine it was fun playing with the format size of this book uh, with it being so large. They filled it out well. Great job. Let me tell you real quick. I just hopped onto eBay. wanted to check the prices out for this thing. There are three instances of where this sold. So there was one that sold March 5th, six days ago, March 5th of 2023, $31, had five bids. Uh, the, the condition, I mean, it looks fairly decent. Then we have a DC Treasury edition, uh, say, sold the same day for 15 bucks. It's a little bit rougher. And then uh, somebody must have hit a buy it now. $12 shipping, $49.99, sold on March 2nd of 2023. So all, all, all around, that's... Uh, if you're looking to pick this copy, a copy of this up, you're looking at about an average of around twenty to thirty dollars, probably. You're at least going to spend probably about twenty bucks, I would I would imagine. Heck, we're talking a forty-year-old book. Actually, now it's going to be about forty-five years old. So, if you can get your hands on it, I mean, why not? Okay, did it give us the answers to who would win? No, Superman versus Shazam. You're not going to get that solidified in a comic form in 1978 that's what playgrounds are for that's where you get to discuss who would win this battle all right folks i think that brings this conversation on source material to an end thank you all for listening hope you all enjoyed it had a good time i'll talk to you soon have a good one bye-bye thanks for joining us all of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. 